Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Certainly I'll echo what the song says and say that I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. And I know you are as well as the song so well says, it's what makes me whole and it's what makes you whole. I'm thankful for uh, as, as filthy as my sin is when the blood washes me, it washes me clean. My sin don't stain the blood, but the blood of Jesus is so pure that it washes me and makes me clean. And uh, it does the same for you this morning if you put your faith and trust in Christ. It's our only hope of forgiveness. And as Miss Donna was saying, thank God for this season and how that especially brings our attention to all that he bore, uh, all that he endured for our sake. And all that, if you, as you read about the wrath of God poured out on Christ, remember that should have been our wrath, that should have been what you and I endured, but we are, Christ becomes our representative when we put our faith in Him, and I'm thankful for what He's done for me, and I know you're thankful for what He's done for you, and uh, leads well into where we'll be this morning, John chapter number 17, John chapter number 17, a powerful, uh, I mean, I guess it's uh, redundant, if you will, to say that, to say a powerful passage of Scripture, because of course, we believe it's all powerful. That's why we, that's why we preach it. That's why we, as we know it to be the word of the Lord, it's all powerful. But a uh, passage of scripture that shows such an intimacy between God and His Son Jesus, a special prayer that He prayed, as we've been studying in prayer, and we'll look at this entire chapter, Lord willing, we'll not make it through it all today. Um, but I think you, it won't take long in reading from these verses to realize um, and to be thankful for this to be recorded for us to learn from and to hear. So if you, as you have found your place, I'll ask you, if you will, to stand this morning in reference to the, wor- reverence to the Word of the Lord as we read. We'll just read the first five verses of the chapter, but you'll see if you have a Bible that puts the words of Jesus in red, uh, the opening words of verse number one are just introductory words, but then after that, it's the entire chapter is the prayer, a prayer of Jesus. And that's what we will be looking at today and uh, Lord willing in the next week or two. But the Bible says this in verse number one, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. I'm thankful for his willingness to come and to be faithful unto the end. God, we thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the hope that we have in you through all things. God, we pray that during this season, Lord, as we should every day, God, help us to really grasp as much as we can in our earthly minds, what you have done for us, the pain you bore for us, and the salvation that we have in you. God, help us to worship you and adore you more and more and more as as our minds begin to grasp and really get a hold of 
the preciousness of Christ and the fact that without Him we have nothing and we are nothing. God, but this morning we recognize that You're all. And uh, Lord, I want to come before You and recognize my insufficiency and my inability to do what needs to be done this morning. God, I want to come before You and pray for help and strength, Lord, as I depend upon You. Because what needs to be done today in people's hearts and lives, God, I cannot do. But Lord, I stand here today in the full assurance and confidence that You can. And I'm grateful for that and pray that you would accomplish your great and perfect will here this morning. And all these things we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. How, how would you feel if someone heard your most vulnerable and personal prayers with your Lord? Certainly not to say we, we pray anything inappropriately, but many times in those personal moments, those prayers, we pray things maybe about ourselves that... We wouldn't be quick to maybe tell other people, but that, those personal, intimate moments with the Lord when we can begin to just share our heart and, and share those things that trouble us, share those things that burden us. We can begin to say and express and confess our sin before the Lord and say, God, would you help me in this area? Would you forgive me for this area? And the reason I ask you that question is because that's exactly what we're experiencing as we read John chapter number 17, what we are hearing, the prayer of Jesus, a most precious and a most intimate time as He talks to His Father. John 17 is a clear picture into the heart and desires of Jesus as He neared His death. This prayer would have been prayed just before Jesus was betrayed by Judas, so not long as far as if as our time frame is correct, not too long before what would be today as Palm Sunday, this prayer would have been prayed not too long before those days, just before the Lord entered into that last week of His life. And this prayer that Jesus prays is so, so special as Jesus understands His life is coming to an end. His earthly life will soon be over. Some prayers in the Bible are characterized by a title for which they are popularly Known. For example, as if I said the Lord's Prayer, most anybody's mind, if they don't particularly know the Scripture off the top of their head, if you hear the Lord's Prayer, probably these words, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, comes to your mind. That's what we think of when we say the Lord's Prayers. It so beautifully begins. Or if I mentioned David's Prayer of Repentance, then your mind probably goes to Psalm chapter number 51. Well, John chapter number 17 is similar. If you were to hear the, the phrase or the thought of Jesus' high priestly prayer, that's how John 17 is often referred to. I read in commentaries, and I think there's some validity to the fact that uh, we say the Lord's Prayer in reference to what we studied in Matthew 6, but really that prayer is for you and us. That prayer is a model for us. We see that in the fact that Jesus mentions confessing our sins and forgiving those who have trespassed against us as we ask for forgiveness for our own sins. Of course, Jesus did not have to ask for forgiveness, so that prayer was more so for us. What we see in John 17 is what is truly the Lord's Prayer. This is Him talking and spending time with His Father as time, His time here on earth draws to an end. And in this prayer, while we don't look at it all together because there's so much you get there's so much here to be hard to look at in one service but it also divides itself well as Jesus prays in these first five verses for himself 
Then Jesus in verses 6 through 19 is going to pray for His disciples that were on the earth right then. As He knows He's about to leave them, He prays for them. And then as I'm especially looking forward to studying myself, as then Jesus in verses 20 through 26 prays for you and Jesus prays for me. Jesus in those verses prays for all of His followers that would believe upon Him through the word of His disciples that were left. That would include you and that would include me. And all three of these aspects of Jesus' prayer will be found in John 17. But what we're studying this morning, the aspect of His prayers where He's praying for Himself. And as you would imagine, Jesus' prayer is not, doesn't contain hollow or shallow words. His prayer is theologically rich. As you and I study these verses, our faith is and can be developed. It's enriching to hear Jesus pray, and I think there we can stop and ask ourselves if, if our prayers would help develop anyone's faith, or our prayers rich with truth and light from God. So what I want us to think about this morning as we meditate and glean from these verses is how does our spiritual understanding grow and how's our faith developed and encouraged and strengthened as we hear the Lord pray this morning. Some conversations that you can take part of, some conversations that you're, uh, I don't want to use the word eavesdropping as if we're somewhere we should not be. Of course, the Lord has recorded these verses for us, but as we hear this conversation between Him and the Father, it won't be like other conversations that you might hear that are of no benefit to you or of no uh, help for you, that's certainly not going to be the case this morning. We will find to hear Jesus talk to His Father to be and bring richness beyond measure. So I want us to look first of all this morning in verses 1 and 2 of how we understand through Jesus' prayer that eternal life is given to us or brought to us through Jesus. The Bible says then these words in verse number 1, spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven. And to me, that's such a beautiful, uh, just such a special picture. Jesus, as the precious Son of God, the perfect one, as He just begins to look up to heaven to talk to His Father. And in that, we must remember, that's, that's what prayer is. That's the essence of prayer, is us talking to our Father. It's how we spend time with Him. It's how we commune with Him. It's how we fellowship with Him. That's why it's so concerning when, and that's why it's so important that you pray. And that's why on the other side of that, it's so concerning when people don't pray. How can we call Him our Father? How can we say we love Him? How can we say we have a special relationship with Him and not pray and not conversate with Him? And as Jesus lifts His eyes up to heaven, we're reminded that that's what prayer is. It's just communion. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of conversation with our Father. Jesus then says, Father, the hour is come. Throughout the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, there will be many references as you read through John's Gospel where Jesus, it will specifically say that Jesus' Jesus's hour had not yet come. Chapter, chapter number 2, verse 4, chapter number 7, verse 6, or verse 8, or verse 30, chapter number 8, and verse 20. In all those scriptures, you'll find that say Jesus' hour had not yet come. As Jesus lived out His earthly life, it was all on a, the divine timetable. Nothing happened by accident. God had an appointment, and God had a plan, and everything happened according 
to that plan. But that's why it's powerful that Jesus now says, Father, my hour has come. He's referring to, he's saying, now is, is my time. The crucifixion is coming soon. The time of my earthly death, the time of my betrayal, the time of my sacrifice being offered has come. So again, that sets the, the situation, that sets the environment and the circumstance going on around us. Jesus is facing the cross and Jesus has come to the point where that is set in front of Him. And so then we get to hear what He says to His Father in these special, most precious and probably painful in some aspects moments. A very, very solemn time that you and I get to experience between Jesus and the Father. What does Jesus' prayer? He says, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Here's this, we mentioned prayer requests earlier. Here's Jesus' prayer request. Father, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. In these verses we'll find this word glorify quite a bit. And that word means to ascribe weight by recognizing real value, render or esteem glorious specifically valuing God for who He really is, to make renown, to render illustrious, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. I like what the Moody Bible commentary said. It said the verb glorify in these verses, if you don't remember any of these definitions as we go through these verses, I do challenge you to remember this, to manifest the splendid greatness of another. To manifest the splendid greatness of another. Jesus says, Father, in this hour, glorify me. Help others to see my splendid greatness. Help others to see my value. Help everyone else, help all of humanity to see my worth and to see the supreme value that I have. Of course, you and I can't echo this particular prayer of Jesus. You and I don't have glory other than His His glory in us to be revealed. But certainly at the same time, you and I are not seeing pride swell up in Jesus. We're not seeing arrogance swell up in Jesus. Jesus is worthy of glory. Jesus is worthy of honor. But then also you see His heart for why He wants to be glorified. He says, Father, glorify Me so that then I, as Your Son, can glorify You. Because if Jesus, after these three days, would be accomplished, was still in the grave, then Him and the Father have lost their glory because Jesus has come saying, I have been sent by my Father. I have come from God and I speak to you the words that God has given me. Jesus, while He's been on the earth, has declared that He's been sent by God. So after three days, if He's still in the tomb, then Him and the Father have lost their glory. So Jesus says, Father, glorify me. Help me, help people to see my worth and my value so that ultimately people see your worth and to see your value. Many of us would love to pray, Father, glorify me. And many times that is, the, whether we literally pray it or not, that's our heart. We want to be glorified where we have no glory to be shown. But ultimately for us, the problem with humanity is that's where it stops. For Jesus, it was God glorify me so that ultimately the glory is on you. Because if I'm laid in the tomb after I have declared I have been sent by God, then your glory has been shattered. So Jesus then goes on to say, as mentioned, eternal life comes from Him. He says, God, as you have given me power over all flesh, 
so that I could give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Very plainly, we see Jesus is the one from which we are able to get eternal life. If you want eternal life to say, tell you something more than likely than you, that you know, but to say it again as we follow Jesus' words, if you want eternal life, go to Jesus. Because He's the one that gives it. The only way you and I can have eternal life is to go to Him. Thank God He's so gracious to give that eternal life to people who don't deserve it. People who have done nothing to attain it. People who can offer Him nothing. Yet He is still so gracious and kind to give this eternal life. He says, to as many as thou hast given Him. You see, there's a, again, something special for you and I to recognize in those verses, in that statement that you and I as believers, all those who would believe are, are counted as a gift from God to the Son. Then as Jesus goes on in verse number 3, another piece of theological richness, if you will, truth that comes to us through Jesus' prayer in verse number 3 is, what is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. He says very plainly, and this is, this is life eternal, this is what eternal life is, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ. As the Bible Knowledge Commentary says, eternal life is not simply endless existence. As it points out, we're all going to live forever somewhere, in some fashion. Eternal life is more than just endless existence. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ. Knowing, that word speaks of becoming acquainted with someone. It implies an intimate knowledge, that personal, a personal relationship. It's not, I know of them, I've heard their name, but I don't really know them. That word explains and, and, and implies a personal, intimate fellowship and knowledge. And who is it that we have to know? Who is it that we need to be acquainted with? Who is it that we have to be personal with? It's the only true God. The word true means real or genuine. True to fact, opposed to what is fictitious, counterfeit, simulated or pretended. You and I have to know Him as the true God. That there is none besides Him. There is none other. And it's knowing Jesus. Eternal life is not simply coming to church. Eternal life is not simply listening to gospel music when you drive from one place to the next. Eternal life is not even being involved in RAs or GAs. Eternal life is not being a pastor. Eternal life is not in being a Sunday school teacher. Eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. Now, if you know Him, if you know Jesus Christ, you'll probably want to serve. You'll probably want to be a part of RAs or GAs or teach a Sunday school class or to sing or whatever talents God has given you and whatever heart and desires and doors God has opened for you. You'll want to take advantage of those. You'll want to serve Him. But that's not eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ, and how do we know Him? We know them by faith. Putting our confidence in Him, what the Bible tells us is true, that what Jesus declares throughout His earthly life and throughout the Gospels is true, that is how we come to know Him. 
It's the opposite of rejecting Him. It's the opposite of dismissing Him. It's how we come to know, know Him. And I like what Dr. Charles Stanley said based on that fact, based on that reality. He said, some mistakenly believe that eternal life can only be enjoyed after death. But if eternal life is knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ, and once we know Him, you and I are able to experience eternal life now. Because eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. If you want to know them, if you want to be acquainted with them, if you want to personally have a relationship with God and His Son, then put your faith in them. Put your confidence in them. And in verse, verses 4 and 5, we learn that eternal life is secure. Jesus says in verse number 4, I have glorified, that word again, I have glorified thee on the earth. Can you and I today say the same thing? Of course, Jesus is referring to he's accomplished as he says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Obviously and clearly, we don't have the same work that Jesus did, but we believe as believers that we are here for a purpose, that God has a purpose for our life. And do you and I live every day of our life to glorify Him on the earth? Do you and I live, to bring that definition back to mind, do you and I live so that others can see the splendid greatness of God? Do you and I live, so again, to go back to what I was mentioning, do you and I live so that ultimately people see the glory of God, that people see Him in all His splendor and all His worth and all His wonder? Look at that on the flip side. You turn on most television, most uh, news segments, and God is going to be diminished Believing in God is even pain and not just in those settings, but it's sometimes it's foolishness as people who believe in God are silly because it just doesn't make sense. We have science and all these other things that it, it explain God away, basically. All these other things that diminish is what I'm trying to point out. They diminish the glory of God. They seek why His glory can never truly be taken away. You understand I'm not saying that. His glory is... He's glorious regardless of what mankind says or does, but do you and I live to try to help those around us to see that glory, to bring that glory to light, to manifest His glory? If you live a life of faith, then you do. If we don't do anything to serve God, to honor His Word, then we're not living to where we can say, God, I have glorified You on the earth. I've helped others to see Your splendid greatness. I've helped others to see you in all your beauty and all your worth. Can we declare this along with Jesus? I have glorified thee on the earth. Another great question. Jesus says, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Can we declare anything similar? Can we declare, Lord, I'm seeking, I'm striving to finish the work that you've given me to do. The word finish means to complete or to carry through completely to accomplish or to bring to an end. Jesus' statement here, Jesus knows that He has been faithful up to this point and Jesus knows that the cross is coming and He's going to be faithful. So He says, Lord, I have finished the work that You have given Me to do. And of course on the cross, Jesus would cry, it is finished. And in that is why I say eternal life is secure. 
the one who gives eternal life, Jesus, as finished the work that God has given him to do. So you and I don't have to worry about him being able to give us eternal life. But the eternal life that we receive from him is certain and it's secure because he finished the work that God has given him to do. He's finished the task that God has assigned to him. And so then in verse number 5, Jesus prays again. Very similar, similar prayer request, if you will. He says, And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In that, we see truths that we don't want to take for granted, truths that we don't want to overlook this morning. In that verse, we see the eternal existence of Christ, something we certainly believe upon the authority of Scriptures, that when He was born at Bethlehem to Mary, that wasn't, his, uh, that wasn't where He began. That wasn't his, the first time. That, uh, that's not where His existence took place. Jesus is eternal. His divinity. We see that as doctrinal truth to understand in verse number 5. I want you to think about the humility of Christ as we this season where we consider that He came to earth, the humility of Jesus. As much as you and I can, think about the glory that He would have had with the Father before He took on flesh. Now you and I know what it's like to live in this flesh and it's far from glorious. There's far from much that's splendorous about this flesh. There's far from much that's beautiful about the flesh. Jesus left the glory that He had with the Father. Jesus left the glories of heaven. Jesus left the perfection of heaven. Jesus left the place where He was seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus left all that to take on flesh, to come to this earth, to do the work that God had given Him to do. So as we think about the Easter season, think about His carrying the cross, His death and burial and resurrection, consider the humility of Christ. His heart to serve and His willingness to lay aside those attributes, to to lay aside that glory to take on flesh to where He came. And the Bible says there's nothing about Him that made Him seem beautiful, that made Him seem comely. There was nothing particularly outstanding about His earthly form. He left all that glory to come and to step into this environment. He veiled His splendor. Again, that glorify means to reveal the splendor. Well, when Jesus came to earth, He veiled that splendor, willingly chose to veil that splendor for a time, for a season. But one thing I've pondered this week and maybe has stood out to me or blessed my heart, maybe more than anything else I have gleaned from these verses, is is this one thing. You and I can be certain, certain of this. We on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of the ascension, can look back at verse number 5 and be certain of this one thing, that God has answered Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer is, Father, glorify me, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And what you and I can be certain of, again, is that God has answered 
this prayer. When Jesus, you and I, next Sunday will gather to enjoy and, and rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that, you and I see the answer to Jesus' prayer. God brought Him up out of the grave. When Jesus bursted forth out of the grave, that is God answering this prayer. He glorified His Son. He revealed the splendor and the beauty and the worth of Jesus so that you and I can stand here today and to know that He has been glorified back to the glory that He shared with the Father before the earth began. When He ascends back to heaven in the book of Acts, God has answered His prayer. God has revealed and God has manifested forth the glory of Jesus Christ. God is... We see in Acts, when Stephen is martyred, that Christ is at the right hand of the Father. God has answered this prayer. He's been glorified. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Jesus is no longer in the grave. And in that we see His splendor and we see His worth. God has highly exalted Him. God has given Him a name that's above every name. God has ordained it that one day every single knee will bow to Jesus and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. God has answered this prayer. God has glorified His Son. The challenge of that is this stuck with me is will you and I diminish what God has glorified? Will you try to say that something, or in this case someone, is not valuable that God says is valuable? God, when He brought Jesus forth out of the grave, is telling you, is telling the world, He's valuable. And that seems like such an understatement. God is telling you, look at His splendor, look at His worth. And will you and I dismiss that? Will you and I try to treat something as unvaluable that God has said is beyond comprehension of how valuable that He really is? Will you ignore the greatness which God has placed upon Jesus? If you're lost, will you recognize Christ's glory by believing in Him for salvation and following Him faithfully and lovingly as a disciple? If not, then we're diminishing what God has glorified. Don't trample on what God has glorified by unbelief. If we halfway follow Christ, then are we living in light of the fact that God is glorified? Not like we should. If you've never trusted Him for salvation, then certainly you are, you are declaring that what God has glorified doesn't mean anything to you. That what God has glorified, what God has placed value upon, you're saying is not valuable to you. And my exhortation to us this morning is don't trample on what God has glorified. If God has said He's valuable, if God has placed worth upon Him, then certainly you and I must do the same. We do that in the way we live our life. We do that when we put our faith in Him for salvation. This morning, if Jesus is praying and relying on the Father, remember, He's at a very, very say special time, very crucial time, very heavy time. The cross is in view. He says, my hour's come. It's time for my death. And in this moment, what is Jesus doing? He's praying. Jesus is relying on the Father. God, glorify me so that I might glorify you. If Jesus is praying and
and relying on the Father, then certainly you and I should learn that we must do the same. To rely on Him. And we show that reliance through prayer. As we stand together this morning, if our musicians will come around and Mark will prepare to lead us in a song. As we mentioned, as we have focused our thoughts in these opening five verses of Jesus' prayer for Himself, we see clearly the richness of His prayers. As we're able to act as a bystander to this special conversation between God and His Son, we learn again that eternal life is given by Jesus. We learn that eternal life is knowing God and His Son. And we learn that eternal life is secure. If God has glorified Him, you can be certain that if you're trusting Him for eternal life, that you don't have to worry about Him failing you. You don't have to worry about Him letting you down. You and I, as I mentioned, living on the other side of the cross, the other side of the tomb, on the other side of the resurrection. We see God has given Christ all the splendor, all the glory that there is. That will you and I live in light of that fact? That God has answered Jesus' prayer, verse number five. If you need to come and pray this morning, this altar, of course, is open, as it always is. But if not, as this song of invitation is given, I just ask you to meditate and ponder on these verses. about what Jesus has accomplished for us, about how well we live in light of His glory. As Mark comes around and leads us in a song. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.